scripture reading for today is from Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15, and you can follow along in your bulletins or on the screen behind me. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kelly. Good morning, Lake Baldwin Church. So good to see you guys this morning. Well, one of my favorite reality TV show genres is the genre of survival. Now, I'm not talking about Survivor. I'm not really a big fan of Survivor, but I'm talking about those shows like Survivor Man or Man vs. Wild or Dual Survival. Um, this, these shows, they pit humans against nature, right? They, they drop a person off in the middle of nowhere. It could be a forest. It could be a jungle. A desert, and these people are supposed to survive. And it might be that they have to make their way to some destination, or they just have to survive for some amount of time. And we get the wonderful pleasure to watch them do this feat, right? They're, they're foraging for water and food, and they're eating insects and lizards and snakes, and they're making shelter and whatnot, and it's, it's quite fun to watch. <laughs> Uh, one of my friends, uh, he does this with his boys uh, once a year. He'll take them out and say, boys, uh, we're going to spend the night in the woods in Florida. Uh, and uh, you can only bring one thing with you. And I'm sure it's not going to be a Game Boy uh, that they choose. Well, on these survival shows, uh, sometimes you can bring stuff with you. Sometimes, sometimes you can't. Uh, I know on one of the shows, uh, you can bring what you can sneak by the judges. Uh, and so some people, they'll, they'll like sew like a little file into the hem of their uh, clothing, or, or sometimes it's just something that the judges don't think is worth anything, like chapstick, right? Who knew you could start a fire with chapstick? Or that you could use dental floss to uh, catch a fish, right? But it's interesting to me uh, to look at these shows, and, and I think to myself, like, what is that one thing? What is the one essential thing that you would choose if you were dropped in the middle of nowhere? Well, as we look at our passage today in the book of Colossians, we're going to be looking at living the Christian life. 
walking the Christian life? And we're going to answer that question. What is the one essential thing that you need to live the Christian life? And we're going to find out this as we unpack the scriptures. We're going to see that a walk with Christ is a, is a walk that is consistent. It's a walk that is captivated. And it is a walk that is confident. Consistent, captivated, and confident. I want to jump right into that first point, a walk that is consistent in Christ. You'll see this in verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so when I use that word consistent, what Paul is saying there is we walk the Christian life the same way as we came into the Christian life, the same way that we received Christ. See, we receive Christ by grace and through faith. And we are to live the Christian life in the same way. We don't start off in grace and then turn to our works and something else. We don't start off trusting in Christ and then somehow turn to trusting in something else like a worldly philosophy or even ourselves. We live the Christian life in the same way that we came into the Christian life, trusting in Jesus. If you're a sports fan and uh, you follow sports, you may have heard this uh, said a number of times. When a team reaches the championship and they win the game, and they're, they're going about interviewing the different members of the team, and, and they ask them, you know, what's, what's the secret recipe? Like, what did you guys do uh, to make it through the season and, and win the championship? And often you'll hear the same thing over and over again. Well, we didn't do anything different than we've done all season long. We are sticking to the same game plan that got us to the championship, and now we have won the championship in the same exact way. This is what Paul is saying. You come into the Christian life by grace through faith. You're to live the Christian life in the very same way. You're not to be departing from that. He says in the scripture there that you are rooted in Christ. That is past tense. It is already done. Because you are in Christ and you're in union with him by faith, you are already rooted. You are grounded like a tree in him. That's a done deal. That is a fact. But then it says this, you are being built up and being established. Now that in the Greek is in the present tense, something that is actually happening. And in the Greek, we also note that it is in the passive voice, meaning we are being acted upon right now. If you're in Christ, you're being acted upon by the Holy Spirit to be built up. These are construction terms. We're being built up. We're being established in the faith, not of our own, but by the Spirit of God. We are becoming what we already are in Christ. You know, when I was, first became a Christian, and I think back to those early days, I often did not act this way. I often did not even think this way about walking in Christ and about living the Christian life. Uh, I remember uh, beginning to think in my mind of 
things I needed to do. I needed to read the Bible. I needed to pray. I needed to evangelize. I started to think about things I shouldn't be doing. You know, I need to stop watching certain movies. I need to stop listening to certain things. I began to construct all of these things that I had to do for Christ. And I had departed from walking in grace, walking in faith. Now, when we, when we begin to construct those things, we ought to think about a couple questions to analyze that. In what strength and by whose power are we doing those things? Well, I know in my life, I began to do those things in my own strength, and it becomes a burden, right? Man, I did not, I did not finish my yearly Bible reading. I missed it. Man, I didn't pray today. I missed it. You ought to ask that question. In, in what strength and in whose power are you doing it? And then to what end are you doing those things? And I know in my life, as I began to think about it, I was beginning to do those things to be accepted and justified by God. I had come into the Christian life by grace, and now for some reason I had figured out that I had to stay in the Christian life by my works. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not grace, and that's not faith. That's not trusting in the work of Christ. That's beginning to trust in my own work. What we're talking about here is sanctification. It's talking about growing like Christ. It's a work that's wrought wholly by the Spirit of God through his word in us. And I want to say, yes, we are a participant in that process, but it is God who is the one who is sanctifying us, right? That passive voice. We are being built up. We are being established, and it is the Spirit of God who is doing that work within us. Philippians chapter 2 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And why is that? Because it is God who is at work in you, to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we are to work it out, but guess what? Who is actually doing the work of sanctification in our heart? Who is cleaning us? Who is making us more like Jesus? It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now this is an aspect of the gospel I have to preach myself all the time, all the time. I always teeter back into wanting to think that I earn my place in the kingdom, that somehow God is going to smile even bigger if I'm doing things for him. And the reality is I can't put a bigger smile on God's face. He is smiling because he sees Jesus when he looks down upon me. I can't add to Christ's work. Well, secondly, the Colossians, they, it says here that they receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Some translations would, would say they, that they receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Kurios is the Greek there. What is he saying? He's saying he's actually, he's actually summarizing kind of that picture we had of Jesus from chapter 1. That he is the image of the invisible God. He's the creator over everything. He's the one who holds everything together. He is the preeminent Lord of the entire universe. He is the God of the gene. He is the God of the galaxy. This is the Lord that you have received. In false teaching, 
It chips away or it compromises the Lord Jesus. It seeks to add or subtract from the Lord. False teaching denies the supreme lordship of Christ. Now, in the late 80s, there was a controversy. Some of you uh, probably remember this. Some of you weren't even born yet in the late 80s. And um, this controversy was called the Lordship Controversy or Debate. And what it basically said was this, that you can receive Jesus as your Savior, but you don't have to follow him as your Lord. You can receive him as Savior, don't have to follow him as Lord. And I'm hoping that if you just look at this one verse, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him that it's going to disavow you of this, this notion that you can just have a get out of jail free card. That that's all that Jesus needs to be for you. You may be here this morning and, and you've thought that you're, to yourself that, you know, all, I've heard this gospel that in order to be saved, in order to avoid hell, I just need to receive Jesus, and so I'm going to do that. And you check the box, and you've done it. But God has not really transformed your heart. If you have no desire to follow the one who laid down his life to purchase salvation for you. See, you can't just choose to accept one part of Jesus and reject probably the most fundamental part about Jesus, and that is that he is the preeminent Lord over everything. Hudson Taylor is known for uh, his missionary work in China. He says this, Christ is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. He's either Lord over every square inch of creation and every square millimeter of your life or he is not Lord at all. He is the preeminent Lord of the universe. To him we bow. And so a walk that is consistent is a walk that starts out in grace through faith and relies on his work, and it's a walk that follows him as Lord. And thirdly, we see in these verses, it's a walk that is abounding in thanksgiving. Now, when Jesus touches your heart, and transforms your heart and gives you a brand new heart, you can't help but to be filled with gratitude. We see this from the Samaritan leper in Luke 17. We see this with the man born blind in John chapter 9. We see this from the, the crippled beggar in Acts chapter 3. When Jesus transforms your life, there's nothing that comes out of you except for thanksgiving expressed through praise. One of the reasons we actually will lose that heart of thanksgiving, that posture of gratitude, is when we depart from what I'm talking about here, when we fail to walk the Christian life in this consistent way. Because if you start to walk the Christian life by your own effort, by how much Bible reading you can actually get done, you're going to lose your joy. You're going to lose thanksgiving because it's resting upon your work alone. And so a consistent walk is walking in faith. It's walking in grace. It's walking in the work that Christ has already done. It's abounding in thanksgiving. It's receiving him 
following him as Lord. Secondly, let's look at a walk that is captivated by Christ in verses 8 through 10. And I'm going to start in verse 8. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What he's saying here is that any sort of teaching that is not in accord with Christ, it is going to take you prisoner. It's going to take you captive. You're going to be in bondage to it. False teaching will take you prisoner if it's not according to Christ. And if you're adhering to teaching that is not according to Christ, you're going to lose the gospel of grace. And the gospel of grace is this, that you cannot add anything to the work of Christ. And if you examine any false teaching, you'll notice this. It's either adding a little bit to Christ, his person and his work, or it's taking something away from the person or the work of Christ. Not only will you be held captive, you're going to lose your freedom. It's like being in prison. And Paul says you're going to be in prison to what is empty and what is false. I want you also to see in this passage that the object of our faith is not some kind of philosophy. It's a person. It's a person in the name of Jesus. But these philosophies, these false teachings, they are founded on what he says are human traditions. Elemental spirits. Some translations will say elemental principles. And next week, if you, if you look at the, the uh, scripture there for next week, you'll see that Paul is going to be unpacking in very specifically what are in those categories. What were those things that the Colossian church was facing uh, with this false teaching? But for here and for our purposes now, I want you to see the origin of these philosophies and teaching. What is that origin? It's of this world. It's not divinely originated. And Paul says, I want, you to, I want to, you to see to it. See to it. Meaning, watch out. Make sure that this does not happen to you. See to it that you don't be taken prisoner by these philosophies that are coming from the world. Because Colossians, you are already rooted in Christ and the spirit of God is in you and he's building you up and he's establishing you. Don't get captured by this teaching. And so he goes on in verses nine and 10 to talk about how can we reject, how can we withstand this false teaching that's coming against us? In verse nine it says, for in him, that's Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. I hope you see what Paul is saying here. He's saying, Colossians, we've got, on the one hand, you're being confronted with all of this stuff from the world, human tradition and philosophy. I want to remind you of something. You have Jesus. He is deity in the body. Paul is reminding them of something he's already said in chapter 1, that Jesus is God. He's the image of the invisible God. 
He's the firstborn of creation. He's the one that's holding everything together. This is the one you have. And then he says, you have been filled in him. And guess what? This Jesus, he is preeminent. He is over everything. And if you have Jesus, do you really need to put yourself under worldly teaching, worldly philosophies, human tradition? Is it going to add anything to the sufficiency of Christ? It's not. Don't be captivated by false teaching. Be captivated by the person of Jesus. Now, make no mistake, every single person here this morning has a heart that is in captivity, that has a heart that is captured by something. We were made to worship something. So the question is for you, what has captured your heart? What has so captured your heart that is influencing the way you walk the Christian life? You know, um, I often think about the lottery, and I listen to people talk about the lottery and how they talk about it. Um, I've, I've noted in my life at times I've, how I've thought about the lottery, how I've fantasized about the lottery and dreamt about the lottery. Man, if I just win the lottery, no more trouble, or I'm going to be happy, or it's going to solve all of my problems. Life is going to be easy. And the Apostle Paul is saying, see to it, don't be captured by that worldly philosophy. But it may not be money for you. Maybe in your mind you have to think this way. If I only had fill in the blank, I would be happy. I would be satisfied. Life would be good. If I only had a relationship, if I only had a certain degree, if I only had that job and not the one that I have, life would be good. These are worldly philosophies. Paul is saying, see to it that you are not captivated, that your heart is not captured by these things. Jim Carrey, the comedian and famous actor, he says this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Isn't that the truth? That is the truth. And it came out of Jim Carrey's mouth, praise God. All truth is God's truth, though. All truth is God's truth. There's only one answer for us. That one answer is Jesus. Only Jesus can satisfy the deep yearning in our hearts, the emptiness in our hearts. Only he can satisfy with his love and with his beauty. Only Jesus can captivate us. And so we've seen that a walk in Christ is a walk that is consistent. We now see that a walk in Christ is a, is a walk that is captivated by him. Let's look lastly at a walk that is confident in Christ. And we can see this in verses 11 through 15. And now in these verses, Paul, he's basically showing the, Christ, the Colossians. This is what has happened when you came to faith in Christ, when you were joined in that union with him. And here's the thesis of that that section of scripture. It is Jesus' work alone that can give you confidence. 
And so first Paul is going to show this by pointing to the spiritual reality of what their baptism symbolized. And we see this in verses 11 through 12. And let me give it to you here right away. What's this spiritual reality that their baptism symbolized? It was the cleansing and the washing away of their sins by the blood of Christ. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So how were they cleansed? How were they forgiven of their sins? It says the circumcision of Christ. Now that is not a physical circumcision. That is a spiritual work that only Christ can do in the heart of a person. Paul would say this in Romans chapter 2, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. When he says letter there, he's talking about the works of the law. You see, it's not the outward act of circumcision that cleans a person. It's not the outward act of baptism that cleans a person. It is the work of Christ upon the heart that cleans a person. And I want you to see here, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want you to see the parallel that Paul is making between circumcision and baptism, right? Why is he making this parallel? He's making the parallel because they mean the exact same thing. They point to the same thing, the need for cleansing from sin, right? And we also know that this same parallel exists between Passover and the Lord's Supper, right? The Lord Jesus uh, instituted the uh, communion Lord's Supper when? Passover, right? Passover is the same as the Lord's Supper. Why? Because it points to the same thing, that there would need to be a sacrifice for our sins. But this is interesting. The old covenant sacraments were bloody. Both of them, bloody signs. The new covenant ones, no more blood. Isn't that wonderful? Why? Because we stand on the other side of the cross those who were standing on before the cross, they didn't know how would God do this. What is this blood pointing to? But us who are on this side of the cross, we know now that it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us of our sin. And so the sacraments that we celebrate are without blood. Wonderful thing. And so the Colossians could be confident. Why? Because Jesus had washed them of their sins. And secondly, they could be confident. Why? Because justice was satisfied and victory was accomplished for them. Verses 14 and 15 show us this. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Now, when the scripture talks about this record of debt and all these legal demands, what is he talking about here? 
Paul would say in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. In other words, the penalty for sinning is death. That's the legal requirement that has to be fulfilled by God's law. And I think, I think about myself, you know, every day I sin, I think about my life of sin. I actually think about it as a mountain sometimes um, that keeps on growing. Like tomorrow it's going to get bigger. And then the next day it's going to get bigger. And then next month it's going to be even bigger, right? My pride, my self-centeredness, my self-sufficiency, my giving my love to things other than God. It's a mountain I cannot climb. It's like writing checks that I cannot pay. It's like running up a tab over and over again and it just keeps on going. That amount just keeps growing and growing and growing. Here's the good news this morning. This bill has been set aside. This bill has been canceled. This bill has been nailed to the cross. Someone else paid my bill for me. His name is Jesus. Horatio Spofford wrote the the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. We sung it last week, actually. And this is what he says in one of the verses. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, the whole mountain of sin. It's nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. I think there are no sweeter words than we, that we can hear this morning that then our debt has been canceled and it has been nailed to the cross. If you're here this morning, maybe you feel far away from God, you're aware of your sin. You're aware that you've fallen short of the glory of God. You don't even live up to your own standards and, and you feel shame. You know you're far apart from God and you've yet to follow Christ by faith This scripture is saying that Jesus has done something incredible for you. He can take the mountain of your sin and nail it to the cross and you can be free. You may be here this morning and you're a believer. You've been a believer for 20, 30, 40 years and you might be discouraged because you've blown it this morning or this past week and you're discouraged. And this scripture says... It is nailed to the cross. It is canceled. It is set aside. We can rejoice. The scripture says that Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them. We can be confident because Jesus has the victory. This image here that scripture is giving us is the image of a general A conquering general who has his enemies bound and defeated and he's leading them through the public square and they are humiliated. 
They are disarmed. They, they have no more power over us. What Jesus did on the cross is he has disarmed our enemies. You know that promise in Genesis 3.15 where it says he's going to crush the head of the serpent? Well, here it is at the cross. Jesus crushes the head of the serpent. And we are free. And so confidence comes when we look to the work of Christ and not look to our own work. Now, I'll admit, for me, this is a hard area. This is a hard area, right? I am prone in many areas of my life to, to have anxiety and stress. Why is that? You know, when I begin to root my identity and my worth and my significance in what I do, all sorts of trouble comes about. Let me give you a few examples. You know, uh, back in my corporate days, uh, I remember being put in charge of a very large project in the company, a uh, lot of stress. And, um, you know, the, the project was growing and, and the team was growing and they kept on adding resources and the project failed miserably and it shattered me. Why? Because I had rooted my significance in my own work. But you know, on the flip side, it's, it's equally as dangerous too, right? What happens when we succeed? When I succeed, I am prone to pride. And so there's dangers on both sides of the extreme. And it can, and it can actually carry over into ministry. It can carry over into your personal walk with the Lord, right? If you feel like you're beginning to do things for Jesus, like, I, I got to read more of the Bible for Jesus. I got to evangelize people for Jesus. Well, now you're beginning to root your confidence in your work and not in the settled work of Christ. And hey, when you actually do achieve your yearly Bible reading, you may be prone to pride. But if you miss it, you'll beat yourself up. I think we're all prone in this area to look to our own work and find confidence in our own work. Confidence in our walk only comes when it's rooted in the work of Jesus. Only in the work of Jesus. So what's the one thing you need to live the Christian life? What's the one thing? Well, when I was a young boy, I always wanted a pocket knife, and uh, I never got one of these things. This is a Swiss Army knife, but as a, as a young boy, I, got, I, I did get a, a knife, uh, but a Swiss Army knife would just be the ultimate, right? I mean, it's got a screwdriver, it's got a magnifying glass and tweezers, and it's got a corkscrew to open up my bottle of wine as a kid, right? <laughs> one tool does everything. What's the one thing we need to live the Christian life? We only need Jesus. Because in Jesus, we have the image of the invisible God. We have the one who is Lord over all creation. He created it. He's holding everything together. We have the one who has cleansed us and forgiven us our sins. We have the one who has set aside that record of debt. He nailed it to the cross. We have in Jesus one who loves us and is beautiful. 
the one thing you need in the Christian life is Jesus. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is sufficient. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, our great Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we thank you that by grace you call us to a life of faith in your Son. And Lord, that in Christ we have everything we could ever need, everything that we could ever want, everything we can ever desire is found in your Son. You satisfy us with good in your Son, and we give you thanks. Our hearts abound in thanksgiving and in praise to you this morning because you are a great and mighty, loving, and gracious God. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.